Hey guys, we have a new giveaway for you this week. Thanks to our partner Beta, we will be giving away three simple being weighted blankets. I'm sure you've heard of the weighted blanket. These blankets help with anxiety, insomnia, and other sleeping problems. They're super comfy and they put you to sleep right away. We'll be giving away three this week to our listeners. Just sign up for the giveaway at www.mission.org giveaway. The Simple Being Blanket retails for $80 and you can actually go and try it out at any beta store around the country. Beta is a retail store designed for discovering, trying, and buying the latest products and innovations around. Find a beta store near you or visit beta.com. That's B-8-T-A.com. Welcome to Mission Daily. On today's episode, Ian is joined by Tara Nicole Nelson, founder and CEO of SoulTour, a personal growth school that helps leaders to fulfill their potential through various programs, courses, and challenges. Tara is also the author of The Transformational Consumer, Fuel a Lifelong Love Affair with Your Customers by Helping Them Get Healthier, Wealthier, and Wiser. Prior to becoming an author and founding SoulTour, Tara was the VP of marketing for MyFitnessPal, now part of Under Armour, and she created content and marketing strategies for brands including HGTV, ING Direct, Eventbrite, Trulio, and Lookout Mobile Security and Chegg. On this episode, Ian and Tara discuss how she got into marketing after being a lawyer and a real estate broker, the transitions she has made throughout her career, and what caused her to become an author and write her first book on marketing. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. Tara, what's going on? Oh, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Indeed. (laughs) Et cetera. I love how in your book you talk about healthier, wealthier, and wiser, because that's what we talk about all the time at Mission with our accelerated learning mission here. So we're going to get into the transformational consumer, which I I love this topic. I love this idea. Uh, You wrote a book about it. Some Transformation Tuesday action here. That's right. Um, And your really amazing career in marketing. So first, how did you get into marketing? Uh, It is a long and sordid tale. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My education's in psychology. I have a master's degree in psychology with an emphasis in curriculum design, which turns out to have become very, very relevant in the content marketing era. No kidding. I thought I was going to teach when I got that degree. (laughs) Um, And I have just as a marketer. So I, let's see, I got that degree. I went to law school at UC Berkeley, became a lawyer, and was actually practicing the law representing some bad apple real estate agents. Wait, you were actually practicing. I practiced the law. I wow. represented people who were sued civilly and charged criminally for the same behavior. Wow. Including some bad apple real estate agents. And as I sat there watching them write these settlement checks so much more easily than I could, could have done, I was like, wow, real estate is kind of awesome. I love being a trusted advisor to someone. And I think I could just do a way better job <laughs> than, than these particular agents were doing. I have great respect for agents, actually. So I quit my job as a lawyer. I became a real estate broker. I actually represented people at the top of the market like 100 years ago. So maybe 2003, 2004. And in the car, I did. Oh, that is. Yeah, I was like 100 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's <looks laughs> useful. Yeah, um, same thing. But yeah, no, that is. Oh, I am. Um, And in the car with my buyer clients, I did what I think now of as my first customer insights project. 
just listening to people talk about the lifestyle design changes that they wanted to make in their lives through this transaction. And then also watching them make really bad decisions (laughs) in the course of their transactions, which I thought I got to be able to help people make better decisions. So I used what I knew about curriculum design and I created this flow chart that was like how to plus what to expect plus mindset management, which I maintain is still a very good content marketing formula, how to, what to expect, mindset management. Mm -hmm. And I started walking all of my clients through it and it changed the game and they had to make way fewer offers and they like got that, you know, they were making better decisions, less stressful. So I turned that flowchart into a seminar. I turned that seminar into a self-published book. I wrote a 400 page book. Don't even ask. 400 pages. (laughs) Self-published it. And I joke, I sold 10 copies of that book, but one of those copies was to a gentleman who was one of the founders of HGTV, who called me up and said, hey, I've got your book and we'd like to license it. Hmm. So HGTV licensed my book and then hired me as a digital content marketing consultant and like PR spokesperson to convert this 400 page book into all these Articles and video webisode series, they media trained me, put me on the road for them doing PR for several years. And I that changed my career. That was the beginning of the change. I literally was paid to learn how to do content marketing to drive the results of a digital business. And from there, was recruited by Trulia.com to run their content marketing program in-house. And that was my career transition. It's funny, the transition to Trulia is like one of the most obvious, I'm sure in hindsight, but I'm sure at the time you were like, what am I going to do with all of this? Like, I feel like I have all of these things together that would make me really good at blank, but what company is it? I wasn't actually looking. And that is, I think that whole trajectory that I've just laid out, you're right. I tell the story in a really neat way. It did not feel like that in the moment. It was the great recession, which I call the not so great recession. I was still selling real estate the whole time I was working with HGTV. So when I got this thing incoming from Trulia, I was like, this is weird. Like, I'm I'm a broker. This is what I do. But I'll tell you, it was the beginning. It was probably the first big time in my life I learned to truly deeply trust my inner guidance and Mm -hmm. learned that like if I got clear and decisive about what I wanted to create in my life, the opportunities will actually flow in especially the more you just put what's on your heart out there. So by virtue of publishing this crazy book that everybody was like, why are you writing a book? It is like digital time. They didn't even, people were like, email's dead. Everything's dead. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Email's yeah. dead. I, I, email continues to die. And yet it's our, Every only, year, <laughs> it's our only communication platform with uh, people outside of our organization. Yeah. Not our only, it's the primary. It's the, and it's big. And actually that was the thing that continued at Trulia. We got to a point where just with the Trulia newsletter, I was driving like 10 or 11 million visits to Trulia every week. That's and wild. people were telling me email was dead. And I was like, okay, you guys keep thinking that while I keep driving business results with these emails. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a pretty important insight because I think a lot of marketers lose focus on what works rather than like the shiny new thing. Because if the only way that you were able to get a piece of content, I remember when the ringer.com launched, which is really, it was like brand new at the time and they couldn't actually, they didn't have a content hub yet. So the only way to get their content was through their email newsletter. And so if you wanted to get that, that was the only way. Like email is extremely powerful from that perspective. And it kind of goes to this idea of like, you know, 
you know, you're competing for a lot of different stuff. But if you have something that nobody has, then that's the only place that they're going to be able to find it. I think one of the reasons, I think probably the reason, and this actually is very related to the transformational consumer stuff. I think the reason our email program did so well there and the MyFitnessPal program later, I ended up, you know, plot twist, plot twist, plot twist, career-wise, let's just fast forward, ended up as the chief marketer at MyFitnessPal, uh, which is the world's largest health and fitness app and was when I was there at the time too. Our emails weren't about us. Yeah. They really weren't. Our emails were deep dives into how we could remove a friction that we knew our customers were experiencing in trying to solve the high level human problem that we as a company existed to solve. So like every email was about what piece of friction can I pull out of their their journey, their real life journey, or what piece of content will trigger a little more progress for them. Whether it's making it more beautiful, easier, more fun, more effective, whatever it is, it was all about serving their aspirations. And people have endless desire to engage with the brands who will legitimately do that for them. Yes. And I think this idea that, you know, you can improve whether it's health, wealth and wisdom or whatever it is that you're trying to help your customers improve they're seeking it they are seeking and someone's giving it to them either way right they're either getting it from like whatever netflix and it's not helping or maybe it is or it could be you but they're looking for something that is the way that you know they want it done and i think you know a lot of people and that's like you know and shout out to our amazing sponsor Pardot. but that's what's so exciting about marketing automation like the fact that you can with so many different types of personas or people that you can talk to them in different ways. Like that's so, it's so exciting. Yes. And it does mean, it does require a shift to truly authentic customer centricity. You really actually have to care. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. This is not just a like, okay, like send that message to those people, this message. You have to actually get deep into and understand the the real world journey that people are taking of trying to solve this problem. and in a way that's not attached necessarily. So I'll just say exercise Buddhist detachment <laughs> from the way you've been thinking about or talking about your brand or your product. Get on the get on the Reddit threads, go that. learn how people are talking about stuff, how talking about their problems. Like, you know, do you know what my favorite is right now? I am obsessed with joining like these various Facebook groups mm -hmm. that are super like tightly subject specific around kind of weird subjects. Mm -hmm. So I'll say to my best friend. So I was on the sustainability and homesteading group the other day and she's like, but you live in Oakland. <laughs> you know, I live in Oakland. So, no. Yeah. I, was, I mean, it, it, you, you, you stepped on my, I was going to, I was going to tease you with the great Oakland. Yeah. I was born and raised in Oakland. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm Oakland forever. Yeah. It's um, the best. In my it's mind. the best place Oakland, in the world. It is actually the best place in the yeah. world, but we're not supposed to be telling too many more people because apparently the news is getting out. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, yeah, it's, that's, that's accurate. Yeah. But I'm on the sustainability and homesteading groups. I'm on the carnivore groups. I'm on the, Wait, this one. I'm on the frugality and minimalist groups, which Ooh. anyone who knows me knows are not my personal <laughs> interests. I am neither a, frug a frugality aficionado or a minimalist. Fancy not frugal, I feel like. Yes. I'm with you. Amen. Me too. Amen and amen. <laughs> 
But those groups are wonderful because they are just real people with these real aspirations talking to each other in their natural language. The patterns I spot on those groups are very interesting. It's a it's the best trend spotting you can ever do. Yeah, I you know, I've talked about this on the show before, but I used to listen to like a ton of fantasy football podcasts back in the day. One of the things that was so interesting to me was like every fantasy football podcast always advertised like betting, sports betting, or like other fantasy football stuff. And I always just thought like, how next level is it going to be when other advertisers start, like especially enterprises start to realize that their customers live in all of these different pockets. And yes, you're going to have like a lot more loss, but there's ways to get in front of people that does not directly one-to-one translate to the exact topic that you're trying to talk about. I think that all the time when I'm in, like I walked into a spin class recently. Um, I'm slightly obsessed. I walked into a spin class the other day in San Francisco in a studio I, I don't normally spin in. And probably the first like two rows of women in that class, I knew all of them. I was like, oh, hey, girl. Hey, hey, girl. <laughs> hey, hey, it's been forever. These women are like the heads of comms yep. of every tech company yep. <laughs> in this. And I was like, somebody is missing an opportunity in here because <laughs> this is like a power, power room. But we're just like spinning. We're just having fun. I know. I it's we're captive. And, and, and well, it's also around people's passions and and ultimately a lot of those things are about transformation like they're looking yes. you know like we had it we had a guest in here cio for a different show who is like his number one favorite podcast is this fly fishing podcast because he loves to go fly fishing like again you know that person is a really 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 important buyer for a lot of companies couldn't you be creative and figure out a way to do that and and you know, I'm circling back to this idea of the transformational consumer, which you wrote a book about. I'd love for you to tell our listeners, like, why did you write this book? What was the what was the kind of lightning bulb moment um, that um, you had? I think the lightning bolt moment that gave rise to my thinking first about the transformational consumer, like cr- the the naming of that as a framework was probably it was probably after I'd left So I left Trulia. I went to boutique PR firm in San Francisco that represented only like venture-backed startups, mostly at launch. And I was basically able to do a bunch of the same, like, you know, using content and PR and spokespeople and emails and whatever to drive their business results. And I was, and again, it was definitely at the time when that refrain of like, email is dead was just (laughs) overwhelming. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm just going to keep using it to create results. But what I was noticing was the clients of mine, that's the agency was amazing because I got to do the same kind of work that I'd been doing, but without myself as the spokesperson and outside of real estate, right? So I worked on, I don't, can I say brands? I worked on Birchbox Cosmetics. I worked on Lookout Mobile Security. I mean, like the range of brands I worked on was very large, enterprise, very techie, very consumer. And the companies with whom I could get really great results using content marketing were all the companies who would let me do what we just talked about. They would let me let the content not be about them. Yeah. Like with Lookout Mobile Security, we actually coined this phrase, mobile lost and found. We started talking about no mo phobia as a next generation kind of like 
actual diagnosis, right, where people freak out when they lose their phone. We were able to, like, name cultural trends and just speak to people about the changes they wanted to make in their lives for the healthier, wealthier, wiser, positioning the, that brand as a provider for, you know, progress along their journey versus, like, the brand as the central character of whatever the mar- marketing message was. And so I was noticing like the brands who would let me do that in a way that helped their customers truly be healthier, wealthier, wiser were the brands who were getting these crazy off the chart engagement results with their content. Because we were in that period of where like content marketing was still new, still kind of ascendant. But I was already from the inside starting to see that thing that we're now seeing all the time, the content marketing paradox, which is like, there's so much more content every year and so much less engagement on it <laughs> or with well, and it. so much worse content every like, year like that's bad that- content and and almost like even back then i was like gosh is, we are at peak content back then <laughs> like we're it's just more than people's brains can really manage if it's not personally relevant to them they were just like tuning out so i was like huh it's interesting the brands that are really talking to people around their health and their wealth and their wisdom their transfer what i was thinking of as transformational aspirations are getting this crazy engagement on their content so i co- coined the phrase a transformational consumer i i published a thing in Forbes. And that was still a while ago. That was like back maybe 2010. I kept consulting and doing work mostly with companies I saw as transformational. I started on the book process probably in like 2014 and then got this incoming from my fitness pal who was first a consulting client of mine. Oh, no Um, kidding. Yeah, they were. (laughs) My fitness pal had 45 million customers and no marketing team when I met them. And they were like, so we hear we should have a marketing team. (laughs) We heard that you could help us figure that out. And I was like, hey, so here's what we're going to do. That was meant to be a 90-day consulting project, wherein I helped them understand a strategic framework that a marketing team could use to drive business results for a business that already had a, a bunch of customers, right? Like, when what do you do as a marketer if growth is already happening? Yeah. Well, my answer was engagement because I had kind of seen that already. And every the sort of dirty little secret of digital health is that maybe is not so secret anymore, is that it's hard to get people to engage with those apps over time. Yeah, totally. So I thought content could help that. Marketing could actually partially own engagement, not just growth. And then that became like my job <laughs> to build that whole program out. But I was writing that, I was starting to write that book when I was offered that job. And I was like, no, because I need to write this book. And the CEO actually was like, don't you think this would be a better book after you do My Fitness Pal? And I was like, okay, touche, good point. I guess we'll do this. <laughs> so the the basic concept of the transformational consumer is that there is a very large and rapidly growing group of humans. And I emphasize their humanity a lot because we get all onto these tangents about users and it's they're human beings. <laughs> they're people. Yeah. Um, Sean, Sean Shepard has come on the show a couple of times. I was talking about there's only two people who talk about users, drug dealers and uh, <laughs> and, like and, digital mar- and, and yeah, like growth marketers. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. This group of people just over indexes. They are avid in their continuous efforts to live healthier, wealthier, wiser lives. They are avid content consumers in those efforts. They are early adopters of products. They will try lots of things. They're deeply optimistic and hopeful and sort of extreme in their growth mindset and that they believe they can 
change anything about their lives that they really put their minds to. However, because so many of them have been engaged in that process for a lifetime, they have also failed at it a lot. (laughs) And they know that their own behavior change tends to be kind of a linchpin, make or break factor in their transformational efforts. So they're constantly looking for the brands and the content and the products that can actually help them change their own behavior in these ways. That is the transformational consumer. So when I left my, so my fitness pal had amazing trajectory from 45 million to 120 million in my two years there from 45 million humans on the app to 120 million humans while I was there. Then we were acquired by Under Armour. So I hung out there for a few months after the acquisition left and then wrote the book. Um, well, and, and so because I 100% agree with your thesis and we as a company believe that, I mean, so we built, you know, the largest publication on Medium, you know, from zero to now, I think we're like 530,000 followers on Medium over the course of a couple of years with this exact thesis was like accelerated learning is going to be the most important thing in the future. Traditional ways of learning are antiquated. You can learn 99% about a topic in, you know, 24 hours now. So what people need is cutting edge insights from practitioners that are actually doing it. Uh, They need to know like stories from the past, which like educate what the decisions of that they're making now, what other people went through. And then creators and futurists who are trying to predict with like fiction and storytelling, like what does the future look like? And so like that, that type of person, and like you've seen, obviously, you know, our network has, has grown a ton with that kind of same thesis of like making healthier, wealthier, and wiser. But even you look at like Everything Tim Ferriss has done, yes. for example, is like around, hey, I'm just going to tinker around with my body and figure out, you know, and like my life and figure out like what is the best kind of thing for me. And I feel like that level of quote unquote self-improvement is so different from the old self-help kind of stuff. And it's like when we would talk to people all the time, we'd be like, oh, it's, so it's self-help. And you're like, Everything is self-help. Right. It's just improving yourself. Like reading a book is self-help. Like that's just kind of like a catch-all. It's a different generation. Yeah, exactly. And I just think it's kind of like a catch-all phrase that people just didn't know what it was. Did you get any pushbacks when you would talk to marketing leaders about this idea? You know... I didn't really get pushback. What's funny is a couple times there were some caveats I had carved out, exceptions I had carved out in my own mind and in the book where I was like, you know, if you're an ATF company, if you're an alcohol, tobacco or firearms company, maybe you shouldn't use transformational marketing (laughs) or like maybe you shouldn't be promising people that their lives going to get better by virtue of your product. Or I would say like, you know, maybe like if you sell garbage bags or something. So I'm giving this talk and this woman's like, I read the book. I saw your thing about garbage bags. I just wanted to let you know. And this was still a couple, this was when the book came out. So it was a couple years ago. She's like, I've just read that the Marie Kondo books. This is before she had the show. I've just read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. My husband and I have decided that like our family will get along better. Like we want to live a better life altogether. We'll get along better if we 
declutter. So I went out and bought a bunch of garbage bags. <laughs> She's like, so I feel like even garbage bags are kind of a transformational purchase. And I think that is one of the best case studies for what this really is. It's not so much a framework. It, it's a framework that asks you to put your mind into the everyday lived and felt experience of your customer, right? And so like whatever it is that they're using the thing for, <laughs> whether it's what you think they should be using the thing for or not, that's part of why I think customer insights work customer research, whether it's online listening or off, and ideally there's some of both as a company matures, is super, super important. Like, And at MyFitnessPal, and I think ethnographic versions of this research, meaning actual observations of real human beings in the wild who don't necessarily always even know that you're observing them, is very important. I will say when it comes to specifically food and finance, People are unlikely (laughs) to be 100% honest about what their behaviors are, even with themselves, right? So like, I will never forget, probably my best story about customer research was being in this woman's living room. This woman was very heavy and she was telling me that she ate a paleo diet and she had all the cookbooks and she knew all the names of the blogs and like things like she was in it. And I was like, huh? And she was saying, you know, she'd still been struggling. So in that particular research project, we not only talked to people in their homes, we also went into their kitchens, into their pantries, into their fridges. We went to the drive through restaurants with them. We learned some stuff because you don't necessarily, we are not our customers. You don't necessarily know. I didn't know what a, what the dollar menus were so much because I don't, we don't really eat fast food. Yeah, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know those, those darn things either. <laughs> well, people would say things, they would call I them by them. names. <laughs> they would say like the Fresca menu. And I didn't really know what the oh, Fresca menu funny. was yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, until I sat in a, and I, we always had this thought, you know, we're Bay Area, we're Bay Area bougie. Let me just call it that. Oh, for sure. Right. So we had this thought that, well, people say it's cheaper to eat fast food, but is it really? Isn't that just an excuse? Then I'm like in a car with a mom who's feeding like five kids on 20 bucks. And I'm like, she's right. Oh, no, it's 100 percent right. <laughs> like, that's actually true. That's real. Oh, no, it's 100 percent. I mean, the counter. Point of this is you can also buy like a gigantic thing of potatoes, a gigantic thing of apples, a gigantic thing of rice. And like you could also buy more food for $20 to feed those kids. But who is going to make it? And then also spend hours like doing these things, right? Yeah. Like making the meals, all of that. Yeah, it's like I... Which I know because you know. I do. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> but like totally. I have the luxury of... I have many luxuries in my life. Anyhow, we're in this woman's fridge and I open the fridge and there's all these huge mason jars with colored liquid in them. And so I'm like, what is this? Just I asked her and she says, it's Jolly Rancher vodka. So we had a woman there photographing and I I said to her, this is, I think it's like vodka. She's dropped a Jolly Rancher in. And the woman said, no, no, there's 12 Jolly Ranchers in each jar of vodka. And like while in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm, I don't think this is paleo. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is not paleo. It just goes to show you do actually on some of these things have to observe what people are really doing. Not in a judgmental way, just to help understand where you can remove the frictions. Yeah. And I, I had a friend who quit smoking and 
was eating a lot of these like kind of like minty gummy sort of things. And they were getting these like super bad headaches. So like just thought it was from like, you know, quitting smoking this kind of how it is. Turns out there's like, you know, 200 grams of sugar in each of these oh or something like that. <laughs> so he's eating like 2000 grams <laughs> yes. of like sugar a day, just trying to like kind of kick the habit. Yeah. But it's anyways, to your point, there's all these secrets of little consumer insights that you just don't know that you do. You don't know. And you can't really know unless you're observing them. You can't just ask someone that question necessarily. Yeah. It's um, like your search results, right? It's like you could tell. I, I was thinking <laughs> about this with how many apps I use where I'm like, I don't really use that many. And then you like double click the phone and you're like, I've used like 47 apps like in the past three days. Like, oh my goodness. But I think those are those type of insights. And I want to tie this into you worked with Nirayal on the original Hooked. Yes, on the um, original Habit Conference. Habit Habit Conference. Or who, Habit Summit, I think we called it. Yeah, yeah, Habit Summit. So I went a couple years ago and I heard Nir talk a, a few different years ago. And it was one of the most eye-opening, astonishing, not only events that I've been to, but also just like, you know, Hooked is an incredible work. And obviously there's also a little bit of scariness to that. Or a lot. Or a lot of scariness. <laughs> But it's something that, and for our listeners, you should definitely um, yeah check, check out it Hooked. out. Hooked it, is it's great. pretty pretty remarkable. And he's actually got so many decks and things online with like the framework there that it's it's useful. Yeah, but so the reason why I tee all this up is because you've been in it for a while. Like you were you were working both that was before the book came out. You were seeing all of these things. You looked at a ton of different of your you know clients that you had had. You'd done it as an operator. You released the book. What was the feedback from marketers? You know, so the overwhelming feedback from marketers was a little bit of relief because I think when you feel seen and heard, which marketers should if they read this book, there is that. It's also the book is a very express rallying cry to it's a call to action to marketers to sort of position their role in the businesses they work in as about more than just brand and more than just brand centric messages. It's a, a bit of a rallying cry for marketers to seize some control over their own place in the in the business case, <laughs> mostly around engagement, like arguing for your own metrics, arguing for your own um, role in the at the table uh, to be about engagement of customers for the long run, which is necessary for every single kind of business at every single stage to survive. And it was also interesting because as I started to travel and speak and consult on the transformational consumer framework, the other big overwhelming feedback I got from marketers was that they were struggling to make the business case for the changes to marketing that they needed, yeah, that totally. they knew needed to be made. They were struggling with influence in their organizations. They were struggling with constant Monday morning quarterbacking of their programming. Yeah, everyone thinks that they can market. Okay, yep. let's just wait one moment. <laughs> everyone who's ever seen a commercial thinks they are a marketer. <laughs> yeah. Million percent. Also, all of those people's parents. <laughs> so like, that's the thing. As a marketer, your work is so exposed to the world. So not only do you have everyone on the team who thinks that 
you know, they can do their job, possibly your job better than you, but also they get feedback from everyone who read the New York Times article, everyone who saw the ad in their lives. And you hear all of that. So I had a lot of like marketers struggling to truly get out of that almost like emotional fog of constant onslaught and of like criticism and shifting strategy, struggling to sort of, you know, super clearly connect the dots between the customer's real world journey and the things that they should be doing for the business in a way that made that business case for the resources they need. Those were the things that I heard a lot of was like, this is the right thing to do. I'm really struggling to get it done. Yeah, I mean, I think that your book really emphasizes how the chief marketing officer needs to be the keeper of secrets, like the keeper of stories of, you know, customer feelings. And you need to be the most empathetic person in the company. And like your team needs to understand that all of these insights allow for your customers to have the transformation from, you know, before the product to after the product. And in the hero's journey, you know, which we've talked about on the show is like, the customer is the hero of the journey. You are not the hero. Yes. And, you know, you are just a part of it. You are the magic elixir. You yes. are, you know, whatever you it is. You are a mentor, an aid, a guide, a yeah. tool. Yeah. And I think that just a lot of people tend to focus on what's the next ad, what's the next campaign, uh, especially in the agency world where a lot of them are measured on purely the advertising piece of it, which makes it tough. Like, you know? It is, which is part of why. So I felt like, you know, over the years, this has generally been true about the way I operate in my career, but it became very true in the time after I published The Transformational Consumer and got that exact feedback from people. I felt like I was doing a lot of coaching. <laughs> I was doing, even when I would get hired to do these big, you know, customer insights projects, I would spend, you know, some time doing that stuff and a lot of time coaching the executives behind the scene on basically like the inner well-being <laughs> practices that allow them to speak up clearly, say what they need, think clearly, recalibrate their nervous systems every day. I was just sharing with people the things that had worked for me. And over time, <laughs> I, had, I had this crazy like week of conferences that I spoke at were finally like the CEO of a very large consumer company was like, why don't you just do this? You are blowing people's minds. <laughs> yeah, Like people need that arguably more than they need another great marketer. And so that's how I actually came to start my other business, Soul Tour. And that's all we do is actually teach the daily rituals and the tools and the practices and the skills that not just marketers, but a lot of marketers um, need to have inner well-being, but also in spiritual connection and also actual success in their everyday work and lives. Yeah, let's talk about the personal development aspect of this. I mean, I think obviously the people listening to our show clearly are doing some personal development yes. because this is, <laughs> they're listening. Know, a show that helps you. <laughs> they helps are all workers. also transformational consumers. Yeah, yeah, all, exactly right. So, you know, what would be kind of your advice to, you know, the C-level marketer, the head of marketing? that maybe doesn't have like a coach or a mentor. It's one of the top pieces of advice that we get from CMOs that they wish they had had a coach or mentor sooner. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, why do you think that is? 
Uh, that they, why do I think it is that they wish they had had one sooner or that they... Well, yeah. And why do you yeah. think that people need one? I think somebody has... There's this whole... Um, just to your point about people in agencies being measured on metrics, so are people everywhere kind of right now. So I don't know. Probably forever now. <laughs> yeah, probably for the rest of humanity. I'll tell this really quick story that I use to illustrate why this stuff is important. And it's it's like this concept, the cadencia. Have you heard of this in bullfighting? Mm-mm. Okay, so I was in Spain last year. I learned about this concept. I'm obsessed with it. And they mentioned it on Billions the other day too, which made me feel very <laughs> validated. <laughs> All right, so... Think about like a bull and when it goes into the ring to fight, like a bull is very powerful, but in the ring, it's like super in reactive mode. It's just like in fear and rage and it's being prodded and poked and jeered at and all this stuff. And while a bull is very powerful, it's kind of like us in that it's at its least powerful when all of its actions are reactions, right? So there is the bullfighters talk about this idea that in every in any given bullfight, there's like a place in the ring where the bull can get to and take a pause and stop reacting and sort of recalibrate and reset and tap back into its natural power. They call that place, which is kind of a place in the ring, but it's kind of a place in the bull's mind too. They call that place the cadencia. So it's kind of like the bull's version of the flow state. Hmm. Now, here's the part where I think it gets really fascinating. They claim that if you let a bull get into its cadencia, this incredible transformation takes place. And literally the only thing you need to do is get out of the way (laughs) because the bull will actually go through anything in front of it. Now, I have a strong thesis at Soul Tour that all of us are basically just like this bull, that we are constantly fielding this onslaught of like incoming, whether it's Metrics at work, rapidly shifting strategies, criticism, the fear of criticism, um, which is a big thing for marketers, family obligations, like got to take care of your body. It's all this stuff all the time, all the one simple things (laughs) we're supposed to do. And it can just be very, very hard to feel like you're not in reactive mode all the time. So when I talk about these practices for inner well-being, when people say, like, I really wish I'd had a coach, I think what we're talking about is actually taking care of our soul (laughs) and having a coach, depending on the coach, can be that person who holds the space for that work, which you may not ever do otherwise. So if you're not doing that work, you're like kind of just on depletion mode constantly and you're not reconnecting to your own natural strengths and powers. And I just, I have a strong point of view. I am slightly superhero obsessed. I should just let you know (laughs) that about me. I think that we're all kind of superheroes. I think that human beings, we all have the ability to have a thought or an idea about a thing that does not exist and then cause that thing to exist. And we are the only human, the only animals that we know of. And I am a big pug fan. (laughs) Just (laughs) FYI, my pugs are... You stole my question. Gosh, you're stepping on all my material. Pugs are amazing. We'll talk about that next time. (laughs) But they can't have thoughts about things that don't exist and, and create them, which we all can do. And we are doing all the time, whether we're doing it intentionally or not. So... I think that if it's the thing that makes us quintessentially human, this creating and and bringing our ideas to life, then it can't be the case that it's supposed to be this hard. I believe we are intended, we are designed to create and to create in flow states and flow mode, 
bringing, you know, not blocked and stuck and stressed all the time. So coaching can be great for that, for holding that space. I mean, I I totally agree. I think that what we talked about at the top of the show, this idea of accelerated learning, of constant, you know, self-improvement is so core to like our species that when you have so many things that you want to improve around you, like that's what creates all of the chaos, right? Like that's what creates the turbulence because- it's the contrast in here. You're like, oh. Yeah, because you're like, hey, there's all this stuff that needs fixing. So therefore I need to spend time fixing it. But the problem is, and I think that why it's so important to have a coach or meditate or do whatever thing it journal. is that clears, yeah, journal, whatever it is that clears your mind. The thing that's great about a coach, though, is that it's someone to hold you accountable. And it's somebody that you're going to, in most cases, pay some amount of money to that is going to keep you honest. And that's like by design, right? It's like that you are physically investing in yourself is the important part. Because otherwise, you're just going to, you know, not do it. It's why personal trainers, I mean, you know, you ran my fitness pal and you saw this from an app perspective, whether it's a human being or not. This is why people have personal trainers. It's just you need someone to be able to share things with that can give you like honest feedback and that doesn't have, you know, a reason that they're not going to push their agenda. Yeah, I think also there's like this really beautiful way of looking at it through the hero's journey kind of lens. Which is that we all are doing a hero's journey over and over and over and over again. Every time we seek to improve or change something about our lives or try to do something we've never done before, right? And coaches, which I was I was very resistant to calling myself a coach for a really long time. Now I kind of do sometimes. I, I was going to say, it's not like you really like say that. No, I have started to. I do. So I run Soul Tour. I have a little private practice that I, in which I describe myself as a business coach and spiritual strategist to my entrepreneur clients. And it's a tiny list and I don't ever market it because it's kind of, I pick them, (laughs) they pick me and that's how we do. I, what I loved what you mentioned earlier about the power of story to inspire our change and to, and to give us models for what does work. I think the power of story is also to give us models for what doesn't work. So totally. we can kind of see our own shadows and go into them. I'm very much an avid student of the Jungian archetypes. Mm-hmm. And oh my archetypes are that. Look around the studio. Yeah, you're going to love Chad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, you got my it. People. Chad's like, everything's Carl Jung. Um, That's so funny. But in the archetypal hero's journey, there is often the hero. So let's say you or, or me often refuses the call. Yeah. A lot of times before we take it, right? And when we take it, we're often assisted by a mentor or a guide or an aide or a someone. It is just how humans work. And so there's a, a place in which I've actually, I know some people who are like, why do people need coaches? And I'm like, okay, maybe maybe you don't personally need a coach, but have you ever had a mentor or a therapist or a minister or somebody in your life, an older family member, someone who's just kind of been where you're at and can ease that process a little bit and or call the forth the best from you. Like I say to my clients, it is my job to see what you can't see and to say what maybe no one else in your life will say to you. <laughs> well, to be clear too, 
like you have a coach. It's just you're not getting one to one feedback like someone like I always talk about, you know, like my mentors being all the people that I follow, you know, like Bill Simmons from the podcast community, you know, or these types of people, like the people that you get to follow along their journey, see their thoughts on Twitter, you know, read their books, do that sort of stuff. Like those are now we have access to all these people. It's a brilliant time. But what you don't have is access to any of those people giving you feedback on yourself. Yes. So you need to be able to find like the learnings are out there, the cutting edge stuff, the podcast, all the things that you can do to improve yourself every day. But the thing is, you need to get feedback. What I say is it's cut, it's a cut the line experience, both coaching and the, some tr- certain transformation programs. You can get there. You can get their reading books. I mean, I mostly read books. It, it's just taken me like 25 years. <laughs> and I had a bunch of coaches along the way, yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm not done. Because I think when you're done, you croak. I yeah, think that's it, actually that's, how it works. Exactly. <laughs> but it does help you cut the line for someone that you know has your best interests in heart, whose frameworks and sensibilities jive with you. That's why you picked them or something they said resonated for them to like see a thing about you <laughs> or about your behavior and say it in a way that you know, especially a skilled coach. You know, and I would add to that, that to round it out for marketers, that if you are, if your product is the lightsaber, right, and your your customer is Luke, then you need to prepare your sales teams, specifically in B2B, to be the coach, to be Obi-Wan, right? Like, or Yoda or whatever it is, or to be Leia or whoever, like, it could be one of the pals along the way, but the best salespeople are the best, you know, coaches. And therefore, if you're giving them tools to be successful, then you're going to win. Which I will actually take a step further. Remember that I started in this business as a sale, as a real estate salesperson. Yeah. I actually think one of the most untapped treasure troves of intelligence about customer insights in a company is the sales team. Oh, absolutely. Like they know, (laughs) they know what people are dealing with. A lot of them are out there doing it, but they've never codified it, right? They're out there doing this coaching and consultative sort of selling, but they've never pattern spotted it in a written way that anyone else can use. So when marketers email me and they're like, I have no budget (laughs) for research, I give them all the things like Reddit and all that kind of stuff. But especially in enterprise where that is not as easily accessible, like it's harder to just do online listening in enterprise. I'm like, talk to your salespeople. Yeah. I mean, so we, we just had Keith Messick on the CMO dial pad. And one of the things that they just rolled out is their sales tool, which allows, it basically takes transcripts of all of your conversations and just uploads them to the cloud. And so this is like V1, they just launched this. But flash forward five years from now, when those transcripts are perfect, when you now say, hey, 80% of people on initial calls of our prospects, you know, bring up wakeboarding as their favorite thing to do. Maybe we should try to figure out how to do some wakeboarding events (laughs) or something like that. Like that's where... That's again, the keeper of the secrets thing. Like now you're providing real time business insights. And yeah, I totally agree. You have to and you have to mix data with anecdotal. Like you have to go look to see the, you know, the Jolly Rancher vodka. And you also have to be able to be able to pattern match over, you know, larger data sets. And again, you want to talk about people who aren't telling the truth either. 
it's the sales rep who gets off the call that just went horrible. And they're like, yeah, it went all right. Like, that's I think, good. I think yeah. all right. I think I'm, that's I'm a, on track. That's a 30% <laughs> opportunity, like, you know, sort of thing. Why do we ask these people to do that? I know, that? right? I know. Um, yeah, it's tough. Well, and uh, the one thing that you brought to mind that is for someone who's listening, I do think it's important for your CMO to have that sort of keeper of secrets role. I also think if you're going to go out and do a big ethnographic like study, you're going to get into people's houses or offices or whatever. If you can take a member from a different team with you (laughs) every time you go, those anecdotes go much further and wider when it's also the product guy telling it, when it's also VP of engineering, like remembers that story Um, because you can't be in every meeting. And specifically, I personally have an interest as a marketer in having people who work on the product roadmap in my customer insights experiences. I videotape them all. I create, you know, these beautiful like change management optimized presentations of them. But there's nothing like people actually being in the room with the customer and remembering. I think my other big customer research tip for those of us that work in the Bay Area or tech companies is to get out of the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we should maybe don't do any customer, <laughs> maybe don't do any focus groups in the Bay Area. How yeah. about that? I mean, if if you're if you're selling to, you know, Bay Area startups, like by all Great. means, uh, you know, if you're selling to, you know, certain types of tech companies, by all means. But yeah, I mean, that's it's a huge huge necessity especially for like for most consumer marketers need to be talking to regular people (laughs) and if you want your product to be big oh yeah and that's just not you know it's helpful to get a little coastal big urban input but that input is pretty prevalent in the media um you can see that a lot of places the other is harder yeah, I mean, I, I would say the other piece of that too is just getting your team into different markets as well. I mean, like, you know, I've lived in LA and New York and the Bay Area and all coastal, completely different people. Yeah. What they show, I like, you know, one of the big things moving back home and moving from up from LA is like so many people here don't drive nice cars. You're like, there's just so many less Lamborghinis and Ferraris yeah. and stuff like that. Like, it's just not a thing. It's like, so funny because I have that experience when I go to Venice. I'm like, what are all these cars? Yeah, <laughs> like, no, totally. Whoa. But, but, and again, it's just, you got to be on the ground and you have to talk to people to like really get those anecdotal insights of just like the kind of smell test. And I think that that's one of those things that like when you book those trips at the beginning of the year, you're sitting there, you know, a week before it going, why the hell did I book <laughs> Four trips. Why am I in Omaha? Yeah. Like, why am I in, you know, in Miami and then Omaha and then upstate New York and then whatever. But but also, you know, sending your people on those to be your scouts is super important. I love the idea of the fire team, like the little, you know, product sales marketing kind of fire team that all three people go together. Huge. And at my fitness pal, we were also always able to get like the CEO to come to one. Yeah. Which is beautiful. If you can do it, it's real beautiful. Let's get into the lightning round. This is going to be fun because you're fun. So is it weird that I'm like a tiny bit scared now? Yo, you should be. <laughs> uh, you're in safe hands here. But um, 
Yeah, these are fast and easy questions. Let's do it. Fast and easy questions, just like fast and easy marketing with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM. Pardot, they're great. Salesforce is great. We love them. You will too. Check it out. Pardot.com slash podcast. Lightning round questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? Oh, fun? Probably YouTube. What ad campaign have you seen recently that you're envious of? Ooh. Oh, I just saw this Nike campaign with these Ethiopian sisters. Mm. It's gorgeous and meaningful and touching. What is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, Croatia. I've never been. I've heard it's it's awesome. the actual bomb. It is literally heaven on earth. Take your bike. <laughs> the end. <laughs> What is your favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I am rereading for like the 19th time, The Science of Being Great by mm. Wallace Waddles, which was written in like 1900 or something like that. Oh, 1911, actually. I have not read that. It is lovely. What is your favorite thing to cook or eat? Very different. To eat French fries. <laughs> to cook, I have a very wonderful kale smoothie re recipe. I often consume those at the same time. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I cannot do kale. I can't stand it. But I just bought a blender. So Good. I'm excited. What's the, I got you. What's the kale? <laughs> what's, the what do you throw the simplest thing. People think I'm crazy. Yeah, what is it's it? It's baby kale. Okay. Filtered water. Half an avocado. Wow. The avocado is your ticket. Hmm. Yes. Um, I just fed some to my baby granddaughter. She did not approve. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that went. <laughs> what are you most excited about for the future of marketing? I'm excited that I see I see a lot of marketers and people in general and in, in companies stepping into their power and like owning their expertise. And I think um, caring about how their companies impact the world and humanity. And I'm actually a big believer that like cultural and social expansion always follows contraction. So every terrible headline I see, I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> We're getting that much at least expansion to come. And I actually think marketers and business will play a big role in the next season of human evolution. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, man. I couldn't agree more. I'm just excited for the future. Me too. The world gets better every day. All day, every day. What is your best advice for a first-time head of marketing? It's going to be kind of weird. Journal. Develop a free writing practice as early as you can. And like not for the output of it, but for the process of giving yourself that emotional and mental windshield wiper effect every day. It'll make your thoughts clearer and you're, you will find yourself with a level of influence that you may never have had before. I would start with this. I, I forget the book. Oh man, I forget what it is. But basically it's like, if you want to start brushing your teeth, don't, don't, I mean, you should be brushing your teeth, but don't, <laughs> don't brush your teeth every day. Just brush one tooth. One tooth. Yeah. yeah. Just write down one thing. Right. I'm like, write a sentence. So yeah. we actually run a free writing challenge at mm -hmm. Soul Tour to help people build the practice. Because it's funny. Some people have a hard time just writing freely. 
So we give them a little prompt and we send them a nudge at night and we do these like little things. And we talk a lot about radically accepting your process of building the habit. It's building a muscle. So write one sentence. You get an A plus if you write anything. I was trying to write a joke a day for, and I got to like <laughs> six days and I just like life happened and I need to go back to it. It's I kind be. of love that concept. Though. Yeah. Being funny is really hard and you have to be really purposeful. And when you have to make a joke every day, then you have to like keep your eyes out for funny, for interesting funny. things. I love it. Yeah. So it's, it's a very, uh, it's a tough thing to do. And then you have to tweet them, which makes it, you have to put your jokes out in the world. Oh, wow. Um, that's next level. I had, a, oh, you, you'll like this. You like kill smoothies. So I had, a, <laughs> um, I had a joke that I've been workshopping and I can't get it right yet, but some blend between like movie time and smoothie time where it's smoothie time and I'm still working my way through what the punchline is, but usually it's my girlfriend staring at me like I'm a <laughs> fool. Is there vodka in that smoothie? Yes. Charlie Rancher vodka. I mean, um, I'm here for it. Why not? Okay. Final question. What thing do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Whoa. It's actually the second to last question because I have one. That is a great question. <laughs> I often have talked about my little brown pug. I was going to ask you the pug next. I forgot to do it. <laughs> so yeah, I've, tell me about your pug. This so I have a brown a little brown pug named Aiko, which means little loved one in Japanese. Okay, that's adorable. and I have a little black pug named Sumiko, which means black in Japanese. They are sisters. And I joke all the time, Aiko gets to make a lot of appearances on my live classes in this in the School of Spiritual Strategy. And I often tell people that she is a re reincarnated Buddhist and monk. And they no one ever asks why. People kind of just accept that that's, <laughs> that's an okay thing to know about your dog. But this dog has a, she exudes zen and peace. She also sits upright and <laughs> meditates. <laughs> okay, maybe she's not meditating, but she definitely sits upright like a person would. Not. She's in the moment. She's in Caesar, the moment. Caesar Milan would definitely be like, this dog lives in the moment. Totally. That dog would actually like guide him through a meditation because <laughs> she'd be like, I'm going to need some calm <laughs> here. Um, but no one ever asked me why I say she's a Zen Buddhist monk. And that's one reason why. Well, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Everyone should check out the transformational consumer fuel a lifelong love affair with your customers by helping them get healthier, wealthier, and wiser. Go find it on Amazon. We'll link it up in the show notes. Anything else? Um, also, come see me at Soul Tour, soultour.com. That is where we do a lot of the personal growth work and teach, you know, the writing challenge, which is free and other programs, which are not free, but are life changing. <laughs> yeah, we got a, uh, oh, I, final thing. Any recommendations on places to uh, hang out in Oakland? Oh what are your gosh. favorite spots? One of your favorite okay, spots. Okay, I'm regularly at the Claremont, which I know is like kind of fancy, but it's also next to my house and I love it. They're lovely. Yeah. Um, I got a bunch of places, yoga places, flying yoga studios mm -hmm, I know on college. My yeah. friend owns that. Oh, my other friend owns Namaste. So let me not leave those out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Pizzaiolo. If you yeah. just like a like a beautiful meal in a beautiful space, Pizzaiolo on Telegraph. I love it. That's great stuff. Oakland's just the best. Oakland's, oh, actually, let me give you a hidden one. Okay. You'll know it, but others won't. Lake Temescal. Oh, yeah. 
We have a secret second lake in Oakland, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's wonderful. There's a beach house and a sand beach and it's it's beautiful. I saw so I used to lifeguard at Temesco. Did you? Yeah. I live half a mile away. Yeah. yeah. Temesco is great. It's not technically in Oakland, but I walked Lake Chabot the other day. Lake Chabot, you are, I think it takes 18 minutes to get to from my house and you are in the middle of nowhere. Like it's so uh, people don't know this about Oakland. They're like, I know. there's a redwood forest. <laughs> there's so like good. all this stuff. Like there's a huge downtown area. There's, you know, um, and all the different, super different neighborhoods yeah. and like super different people. Yeah. Doing interesting things. And like super nice people. That I love it's like it. people that like kind of mind their own business, but also just are happy that you're there. And like, uh, yeah, it's a great place. I grew up there, so I'm biased, but. Anyways, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Of You're the course. best. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Sweet. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.